0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Welcome back to episode 299. You know, during my decades of volunteering with various organizations like Sun and Fun, I've really been blessed with the ability to view in person Soviet MiGs and have always wondered what it'd be like to fly one, well, let alone even own one. Today, we're going to answer that question. Do you know, joining me on this episode is Paul Entrican, author of Mr. MIG, the real story of the first MIG owner in America. Uh, Paul's life, you know, is truly an example of how following your dream and pursuing your passion can lead to some amazing outcomes in your life and really in your dreams. And you know dreams can come true. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we start, though, please visit our sponsor, Podcast.com, and check out the scholarships there, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships, and you might get one for free by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free, and also aviationcareerspodcast.com slash forward. All those wonderful people out there that have paid it forward. We have over $120 million in scholarships in there. Who knows? You may win a scholarship to fly something like a fighter jet.
0: Now entering cruise flight.
1: Well, paul again welcome to the show this is so exciting to have you on today I've watched your act and uh, i've I've always been enthralled by migs I've walked around them seen them at shows even walked up and touched one uh, and i I just could not imagine being able to fly one let alone own one
2: thank you Carl it's a pleasure to be here I really appreciate you having me on today so paul
1: you know a lot of us are sitting or scratching our head like who who in their right mind would buy a a Soviet-era fighter, and and fly it and maintain it. I mean, for those of us that have owned airplanes, uh, it's, it's tough enough owning a, an American-made small aircraft I could not imagine what it's like to go through the parts and and uh, and trying to keep this thing up and flying. So, why why would you consider owning a Mig? I mean, let, let alone a warbird. I mean, this is amazing. What a journey this must have been going through the process of of looking for one and and what just motivated you to do that?
2: That's that's a really great question, and uh, I hope I've got a really great answer for you. When I left uh, active duty in the Marine Corps in the mid '80s. I had made a decision to get into the air show business and I'd been teaching aerobatics uh, at uh, flight school here in Pensacola and really, really loved that and felt that it was something that I was very good at. I'd done a lot of static displays at air shows with the T-34 Charlie and had gotten to know a lot of the civilian performers pretty well. So as a second career that sounded very appealing to me, but as we all know, to get into the air show business and to be successful and stay in the air show business, you have to have some kind of a niche, something that separates you from the pack and gets you some notoriety. Uh, I was not a world aerobatic champion. I didn't have a a special background of any kind to lean on. And I had purchased a Pitts S2B brand new from Kristen Industries out in uh, Afton, Wyoming and was working up my routine when I got a phone call from a good friend who was a snowbirds pilot with the Canadian Snowbirds. And he said, I think I might have found your niche for you. And I said, what is it? He said, well, I read an article in Canadian Aviation Magazine that a fellow up here in Canada is going to import some MiG-17s. He said, man, if you could get a hold of one of those, you could write your own ticket." We both had a laugh about that. And I said, what do you think the chances are that, that, that those aircraft are really going to show up? And he goes, hey, it's worth a phone call. I said, it is. So on a lark, I called this guy up in Canada, talked to him. Uh, he was of Chinese ancestry but had connections uh, since we had normalized relations with China. And he was going to import five MiG-17s, but he had to bring them into the States He could not bring them into Canada. It was illegal up there. And he was bringing them into a little airport up in the Northeast. And I asked him a few questions, and he sounded legitimate. But the most important question that I asked him was, how about maintenance? And he said, you're on your own. And I went, ooh, that could be a deal breaker. So after we spoke, I thought about how I might be able to maintain a mig 17. And like most of us back in those days, I had a little Rolodex file of business cards. And I pulled one out from a gentleman that I had met out in Chino, California, that ran the Combat Jet and Aerospace Museum. And I knew that they took care of T-33s and F-86s and all different kinds of warbirds. So I called this fellow up and told him that I was interested in maintaining this, this type of an aircraft and would that be something that he could handle. And so his follow-on question before he answered mine was, what are you going to do with it? And I told him that I wanted to use it in the air show industry. He said, well, what would you think about having a MiG-15 instead of a 17? It doesn't have an afterburner, a little less maintenance, and one might argue that it perhaps has a little more history. And I said, well, uh, I would consider that too, but where in the world am I going to find one of those? And he said, well, Paul, I just happened to have five of them. They're sitting on the dock in Long Beach right now, getting ready to go through customs. I said, you're kidding. He said, "Nope, and you will be the first guy. And I thought, well, there's my niche. There's my ticket. So I hopped on a Delta jet. I flew out to California, met with this guy, uh, made sure that it was legitimate, and we did a deal. And that's... When the, uh, the games began, uh, it was very, very interesting dealing with the FAA trying to certificate the jet and trying to certificate myself because I was the first one. And the FAA was very reluctant, very resistant. And I don't know why, but they did not want to certificate this airplane. They, they eventually relented and they said, we'll tell you what, you truck this jet out to a very remote place, and the most remote place that we could find was Mojave. You put 15 hours on it and bring back some data about the aircraft and don't kill yourself in the process, and we'll certificate you and the jet. And I said, okay, we'll do that. Now, what we had, Carl, were manuals that came from China that were Russian, translated to Chinese with an attempt to translate them to English. So you can only imagine what was lost in translation. They essentially read like comic books, for example, in case the fire was fire, that was really helpful. So I became a fledgling test pilot. Now, now, granted, as most of us that, that know a little bit about Warbird history are aware that we had had uh, some clandestine MiGs flying in this country out of Tonopah for quite a while, with a special test and evaluation squadron and some guys got to go out and, and fight these guys. And they had the benefit of the government and all the resources, not to mention the classified data that had been acquired when we initially tested the, uh, the jet that Ken Rowe defected in over in, on, in uh they tested it in Okinawa. He tested and he defected from Korea. So, the, the, uh, the Air Force squadron had that advantage. We had to start from scratch. So I would take a test card up and with the data that the, uh, the guys were, were looking for, I came back and we put the manuals together. And, uh, so we were the door kickers, as I like to say, we were the ones that, that blazed the trail for everybody else that's flying MiGs in the free world right now. We were the first, uh, I was the fledgling test pilot to put that data together Uh, next thing I know I was off to the races in the air show industry. So that's a very long winded way of describing to you how and why we got the aircraft. Wow. And so this came about, uh, just, were you looking for
1: an opportunity for having a niche in the air show industry? And, uh, someone said, how about a MIG? And I think that's, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, and it worked. I will say it worked. I mean, I, uh, Every time it flies by, I'm always fascinated. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it. I think it, it you touch on two things there. Number one, it's different looking. And number two, you start thinking about the history. I think as you see your show, you start thinking about where this was used in the world and and what they did with this airplane. And a lot of people don't know that history. Um, there's uh, a lot of history both as a fighter but also as a training uh, platform. Uh, and that actually is something I think you go into a little bit in the, in the book here, but to make it clear though, you actually had a lot of experience doing some, uh, flying and jets and fighters, uh, and, uh, and test flying was not something that was totally foreign to you, was it?
2: That's correct. I had done some other, uh, test flights in different types of aircraft. I had a very, uh, broad background. I'd flown helicopters, turboprops, props, jets, uh, pretty extensive in a lot of different arenas. And and you're absolutely right about the mystique of this particular jet being the primary appeal, I think, for most folks. Uh, the fact that that folks had never been able to see one up close. They hadn't been able to see it fly. They hadn't been able to touch one. Uh, it, in essence, my act, uh, the 12 and a half minutes that I flew with smoke on, staying inside of the crowd the whole time with a uh, – with really good narration in the background, was a flying history lesson. And uh, everybody seemed to enjoy that. So it was a wonderful way to make a living for three solid years. I did it full-time in the airshow industry and absolutely loved it. I love what you just said.
1: It was a flying history Lesson, and it truly is. And in general, air shows can be like that, but especially something so unique like this, I I think it's so important that we have people like yourself that are, are willing to become stewards of these aircraft, of these these warbirds, and enable us to experience history uh, through looking at it in the air, in front of myself. You can see a static display many places, but how many people actually get to see? The MiG-15 actually fly by and and you get to actually fly, which is amazing and wonderful. Uh, where, you know, as you've been talking about this, is there any opportunities for people to actually look at it and and get more information about the history of that aircraft?
2: Well, one of the reasons that that I wrote the book was as I was acquiring information, I, I developed a pretty extensive library. And uh, at the time, I probably knew more about MIGS, except the McCoy and Gurevich, uh, Bureau <laughs> in Russia itself. Okay. And the, the problem that I faced was there was so much inaccurate data out there. Uh, someone would write a book and profess themselves to be an expert, and so folks took that at face value, and they thought, well, if it's in print, if it's in a book, it must be true. And there was so much bunk and hokum that had been presented to the public that a lot of that data was totally inaccurate. So after the dust had settled, I took it upon myself to, to write the book. And as the subtitle says, it's the real story of the first MIGs in America. And I wanted to make sure that everybody had a basic background in uh, the Design Bureau and how the, the MIGs were first developed. But more importantly, once they came into this country, the whole process for getting them certificated and making them available to the public so that those of us in the free world could see them and enjoy them. And you've done a great job in, in that. And by the way, you can find this if you're, we have it in the show
1: notes, but it's paulentrican.com. You can find all about the books that he's written and also the videos and some older videos. Uh, and I thought the one uh, spot you did on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, uh, for those of us that are a little bit older and remember that show was was an awesome spot on on the uh, show. Uh, and it's it actually spurred uh, me to start uh, maybe realizing a dream that I've always wanted to do. I've been able to fly a warbird, but uh, never been able to fly a foreign warbird. So someday uh, that's what I put in my, and I always tell people, try to do something, you know, that, that'll move you forward in, in your life, in your aviation life. And that's what I've decided to do. And you've done that for me. So one of these days, I'm going to get myself into a, a foreign fighter. I, I definitely will do that. Uh, but how I, would like someone they say no guts, no glory? Abso- absolutely. 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 Um, so you've, so you had this long, and we could talk for hours about your history and, and everything you've done in aviation. You've done so much, airline pilot, military, you've been, uh, uh, involved very much in charities, but then you shifted into this writing and, uh, which is, and you've done a great job. Um, how did you, how did you turn this like flying passion that you have into this passion for writing?
2: That's, that's a really, really good question. And my first attempt at it was, uh, for those of us that have served in the military and spent a lot of time away from home, uh, deployments and and other things, combat, uh, we miss a lot of holidays. We miss a lot of birthdays and things like that. And I felt that I owed it to my kids to let them know where their dad had been all these times when I was away. And they didn't know and in some cases couldn't know where I was and what I was doing. So my first book was an attempt at writing a memoir, which was relatively successful, but uh, I fall on my sword at the beginning of the book and, and let the reader know that I'm no Hemingway and, and, and don't claim to be. But if, if they would like to read a, a faith-based book that uh, where I'll tell a lot of stories about why I shouldn't even be here today, keep on reading and, and that they might enjoy it. The uh, the second book, Mr. Mig, actually came from the first book because when I presented the manuscript to some of my pilot friends to peruse to get their opinions, almost unanimously, they said, you're going to lose your reader because you go into so much aviation technical material that the average reader is not going to be interested in. So I called all of that out of my first book, and it became a standalone book, which is Mr. Mig. So that's how the second book came to be. And then the third book, uh, I'd been writing a blog. Actually, my, my yellow Labrador retriever, Rufus has been writing a blog for a long time. I just, I look over his shoulder and let him use the keyboard. (laughs) And I had uh, somewhat honed my writing skills a little bit and received a few compliments about that. Uh, I also have a very vivid imagination and I really like kids a lot. So, uh, one Christmas holiday, I had my grandson sitting in a chair with me, and he looked up in the ceiling of this great room that I'm in right now, and he saw some laser lights up there, and he did not know what those were. And he said, Grandpa, what's that? Well, me being me, I couldn't just say, oh, those are laser lights that we're using for decorations. I said, uh, those are fairies. And he said, really? So I concocted this story on the fly about Christmas fairies. And that evolved into the book that we just released uh, a, a few weeks ago called Jasper and the Christmas Fairies. Jasper is our donkey here that we have on the ranch, by the way. So the, uh, my <laughs> affinity for children, as well as loving the Christmas holidays and uh, having a, a little bit of writing experience in my background, my wife and I put that together and uh, it's met with some success. So we're really gr- glad that Jasper and the Christmas Fairies is out there as well. So... Uh, people are going to Amazon, they're going to Barnes & Noble, and they're picking up Mr. Mig for the holidays. They're picking up Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, and I couldn't be more tickled.
1: Yeah, Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, uh, that's something I would highly recommend for the holiday season. Obviously, Mr. Mig too, uh, for your aviation friends and, and all just anybody that wants to uh, read an inspirational and, uh, and historical book. I think that's uh I mean, it's, you're reading a part of history, the first person to actually start flying the MiG-15 here in the U.S., or oh, first uh, U.S. owner. I think that's terrific. Uh, but Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, another thing I want to point out about that is part of those uh, you know, profits go towards an organization that... I love and I'm involved with it. It's a thing called Pilots for Kids. And Pilots for Kids are pilots, airline pilots, corporate pilots, but primarily airline pilots that go out during the holiday seasons and visit children that are in the hospital. And they're hospitalized for many different reasons. And uh, having been involved with this, one of my favorite things is that it brings light to someone's life while they're... In this challenging situation, and that's why I love Piles for Kids. We get dressed up in our uniform, we go in, we give them many different things, uh, you know, teddy bears, etc. But I, I think the biggest part is the child knowing that someone cares. And you said you were away during the holiday season. Well, these these children are away during the holiday season, but not because they want to be. It's because they have to be. But we're we actually I hope bring some of that that home feeling into the hospital and and really are able to make them smile and realize you know christmas is for everybody not and it doesn't matter if you're here in the hospital or not so that's right i really yep. hats off to you for doing that by the way
2: thank you so much it's but, a pleasure uh, to
1: partner with pilots <laughs> uh paul i know you've had this incredible uh, and i would love to talk again someday about your career and, and airline career and the flying but
2: i uh, what I mean, how many years have you been flying? First of all, about have you? Oh my goodness! Uh, I started flying in 1977. I've uh, 77. I stopped, I stopped uh, putting entries in my logbook when I went over 30,000 hours. <laughs> so let me ask you this: um, Do you still like it? Do I still like flying? Yeah. Oh my word! Uh, that's the passion of my life. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, there's an expression that says, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. I can't tell you how many times I was sitting in a single seat fighter or in a helicopter next to a guy or in a triple seven next to a couple of guys. And just look over at crews when there's not much going on and say, "You, you just want to pinch yourself. Can you, can you believe we're getting paid to do this? Uh, when I was going through flight school and I did my first couple of FAM flights, I was hooked. I absolutely fell in love with flying, and it's been a passion ever since then. I, I can't believe that uh, the Navy and Marine Corps decided to pin those wings of gold on me and, and set me on that path. Uh, I can't believe that I flew with Delta wings on my chest. I, I have just been so blessed to fly Oh, my goodness, more than 50 different kinds of aircraft. I've gone supersonic. I've gone Mach 2. I've gone above 50,000 feet. I've gone low and slow. I've landed on ships. uh, I've medevaced sick people. I've hauled movie stars around. I I really had a chance to do just about all of it. And because of the, the variance of different types of aircraft I've flown and types of flights I've done, I have, I can say unequivocally, Carl, I absolutely love aviation. And I would encourage anybody that's thinking about that as a career. If you're thinking seriously about it, go for it. Like I said, be a door kicker, break down the barriers, no guts, no glory, because you will absolutely love flying as a career.
1: Absolutely. And I love that you've said that. And for those that are hobbyists, I mean, I think aviation brings so much to your life. Uh, And it helps you in many ways, not just uh, in in your aviation world, helps you in your business world, helps you with decision making, helps you understand what to do under pressure. And uh, and I think it helps everybody. I think it can be additive in many different ways in life. I hope you agree with that. Absolutely, I do. Paul, you know this has been absolutely wonderful talking to you about the different books and all. We could go into a lot of of detail uh, in all of these different books, Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, and also Mister Mig. It's uh, the story about the first Mig here in the U.S. One of the things that I've I've have I am blessed to be able to look out my window and see Soviet migs outside my window uh, there's not many people that get to to hang around those here's here I went from to add to that story I went from somebody who's always wanted to see you know a Soviet aircraft up front and center and now I get to see them all the time i don 't get to fly them uh, but i I get to fulfill that dream in other ways and so can you and so can anybody out there fulfill that dream you have to define what that dream is Paul has had a wonderful life and uh, His flying career And his flying life As a hobbyist And also You can too I mean Whether you're just thinking About getting a a Private license Or becoming a glider pilot uh, This world of aviation Is an incredible Aviation, an incredible journey and it's also an incredible community Because no matter if you're someone who's a, a student pilot Or you're someone like Paul with 30, over 30,000 hours we, we all become one in this, this wonderful all-inclusive community And uh, and that's why we you can actually walk up to Paul at an air show And start talking about this, this airplane and have something in common And it really does bring the world together, uh, aviation That's what I love so much about it
2: Absolutely, it's it's a life changer. It really, really is. If you really, once you slip the surly bonds and you get that into your blood, it will change your life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Well, Paul, this has been awesome. Is there uh, as far
1: as uh, maybe moving forward in your life? Uh, you've done so much. It's uh, what's the next? I can't see you sitting still. So so what's what's the next?
2: adventure in your life? That's a really good question as well. Uh, you, you've got a bunch of those in your quiver today. Good good on you, Carl. Uh, at, at this stage, uh, I, I have retired uh, to Northwest Florida. I have a, a beautiful ranch here with some Texas Longhorns and some Clydesdales. So I, I run the ranch every day, which I really enjoy doing. Uh, I have another book in me, I think, uh, I'm in the process of of working on that right now, and I hope to have it out sometime next year. Uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again about that one when it comes out too. Uh, I'm very, very busy with uh, with my church and a couple of charitable organizations here in the Pensacola area. Uh, my current passion is working with Veterans Memorial Park in Pensacola. Uh, I just I absolutely love the mission of of that group of folks that maintain this, pristine, very unique place in downtown Pensacola that I'm I'm just so fortunate to be able to serve there. So, Between uh, being a servant leader in different areas, uh, that keeps me plenty busy, but as far as the next adventure, uh, I think the most adventurous that I'll be is probably uh, uh, putting myself out there with the next book, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. It, It will be an adventure, I'm sure absolutely we can't
1: wait to talk to you about that one too uh before i let you go though there's one thing that's been uh in the back of my mind uh you this is a historic aircraft that you've restored. Um, generally, if someone's thinking about this and uh, in purchasing, say, a historic aircraft, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who's had that thought of, hey, maybe I'll, I can do that. It may not be a MiG, of course. It could be a Stearman, et cetera. Um, and moving forward in their lives, I mean, looking at Mr. MiG, I think that's a great start. Read the book. That'll help you with your journey. Um, what would you tell somebody if they're just getting started and looking into
2: that field of owning a historic aircraft? It's imperative that whatever entity you purchase that aircraft from is reputable. You need to make absolutely sure that you're not getting a pig with lipstick on it. Uh, don't, don't judge it by the paint job. Don't, don't judge it by how well it looks sitting out on the ramp, uh, and maintenance is going to be absolutely critical. If you want to enjoy it and keep it flying, you need to make sure that you've got a, a good, reliable mechanic in your area that can help you with that if you're not a certified AMP and p yourself. Um, but probably most importantly is choose something that fits your your skill level and your comfort level. Uh, in other words, if you hear a good deal about an F-86 or a Mig seventeen. Uh, if you don't have the kind of background that would make you very comfortable hopping into that thing and firing it up and taking it out and flying it, don't do that. Start start smaller. Uh, maybe consider a T thirty four Bravo type of a warbird, or uh, but make sure that you get good training. Make sure that you have a well maintained aircraft and somebody that can perpetuate that as you as you grow in your skill level. And then if, if you get pretty good at that and you want to move up to something that's a little more high performance, then certainly do that. But, but don't exceed your comfort level and don't exceed your skill level and make sure that you can get it maintained regularly and well. Absolutely. Great advice. Boy, that, that is terrific.
1: Paul, I really appreciate you coming here today. And, uh, first of all, you know, a shout out to Paul and his, his family, uh, for, uh, I, I know there's, it's not just you. There, there's a team behind you, and and that's a lot of times we we really have to say that we really appreciate them uh, and for actually putting up with us and putting up with our dreams and, and allowing us to have these these hobbies and uh, and uh, it really is uh, a blessing to have someone like you in this world uh, to show us that. You know, if we can dream it, you know, we could do this. I mean, you could too. Draw, you know, fly one of these aircraft. You could become a writer someday. Paul, who who I think never thought about becoming a writer, now is has uh, some really great books that you have out there. Um, but uh, but before we leave, Paul, uh, just for those of us that are listening right now, for those out there that are listening, and they're on the fence about maybe moving forward in in the next thing in their their flying life. Uh, what would you say to them as far as gosh, you know trying to get over that that next challenge in their life?
2: i would uh, i'm a I'm a somewhat spiritual fellow and I would say uh, give it uh, give it some prayer think about what you want to do and if if you feel so moved you you just have to go for it I, I can't tell you how many people told me that I was I was doomed to fail that there's no way you could make any money on the air show circuit, flying a jet around that I was going to kill myself in this uh, crazy MiG 15. Uh, Like I said, a few minutes ago, uh, no guts, no glory, Uh, no risk, no reward. The greater the risk, sometimes the greater the reward. Uh, You have to factor all that with common sense as well. But if, if you pray about it, and the good Lord moves your soul to go for it. And if that's something that, if that's your dream, don't let anybody quash your dream. Go for it. Uh, listen to your little voice in the back of your head. When those hairs stand up on the back of your neck, it probably means something. But uh, but go for it. No guts, no glory. Just just be a door kicker. Be a, be a pioneer. Be a trailblazer. And all those other folks, as they did with me, that were saying, you can't do that, will look at you and say, how'd you do that? And then you can tell them.
1: Well, Paul, that's uh, some great advice. And gosh, if you're listening right now, I hope that's inspired you to maybe move forward in your life and your flying life. If you think that Maybe, gosh, this is too expensive for me to do. This is uh, something I don't think I can do. I can't fly an airplane, et cetera. You can, you can, you can. And just like you said, you know, pray about it. You can, you know, you actually are somebody that can do this because you look at people like Paul, you know, we weren't all born to be pilots. We started somewhere. And, and you, too, can start today on your journey. And by the way, if you think that's an issue, the, the part about paying for it, it's really easy. Aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. We have a scholarships guide with over $120 million in scholarships out there, people that want to fly gliders, all the way up to airliners. Uh, so you can do this. And uh, just, a, just a great piece of advice. Again, Paul, thanks again for being here. We, we can't wait to talk to you about the next book. Thank you, Carl. I'm looking forward to it as well. Much obliged and for those listening right now what I want you to do is after this is done check out the show notes or if you can remember this paulentrican.com and you can find out more about all those books that we talked about uh, if you're into YouTube there's a really cool video I highly recommend I'll have a link to it in the show notes uh, it's a, it's a, actually from The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous it's one of my favorite uh, uh, shows it's also uh, one of the favorite episodes was one about the MIG which is kind of really cool you know dreams do come true I'm actually talking to the person that I actually watched on the show uh, Over 20 years ago It's actually probably more than that And uh, so so that, that can happen in life And I think that's terrific Also check out some of the other links Like Pilots for Kids uh, Think about donating Especially during the, the holiday season This comes out right before Christmas yeah. And uh, and don't forget to look at PaulEntrican.com. Uh, but uh, but most importantly I hope we've inspired you To think about moving forward In your life In your flying life Possibly your flying career And, uh, and also uh, Since it's that holiday season season. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everybody out there. Uh, We really love bringing these shows to you all these years. And don't forget, we'll be at Sun and Fun and come visit us at Sun and Fun Radio. We'll stay flying out there. We'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you in the next episode. And we really
0: appreciate you. Take care now. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast.